So I'm wondering if you could talk about why is vulnerability important to career success? Vulnerability helps you build relationships and relationships are important for career success. Admitting when you don't know something, admitting that you're unsure or you're intimidated, chances are 99.9% that the other person knows exactly how you feel and can identify with that. And it'll instantly, I think, deepen the connection and make it a more human connection and you get more comfortable with each other. And then that just greases the wheels of, of further communication. This is Leading Up, a podcast from Udemy Business. Our guests share the advice, insights, and inspiration to help you transform as a leader. I'm Alan Todd, your host and the Vice President of Leadership Development at Udemy. Together, we can work, lead, and live differently. Over the past few years, we've seen the workplace transition from in-person to remote and now to hybrid. Here's the thing. Throughout your career, the way we work will continue to evolve and change. Arguably, there's one skill you need to hone more than any other in order to keep up with rapid change. Communication. The ability for nothing to get lost in translation. This week on the podcast, we're talking to Molly Nogler, the chief learning officer at PepsiCo, where she is responsible for the learning strategy covering 309,000 global employees. Previously, she ran executive education at the Yale School of Management and UC Berkeley. We'll talk with her about strategies to break down silos, communicate effectively in a hybrid world, and what it means for her to dress for success. Molly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Alan, so much. That's the best intro I've ever had. Glad to be here. (laughs) Great. Well, thank you. So I want to set the stage, sort of this big picture first. There have been a lot of studies, and in particular, I've seen a few from Stanford and Harvard about that people are 10 times more likely to be fired for soft skills problems than hard skills. And there's a saying, hired for hard skills, fired for soft skills. And then Dan Goleman, who popularized emotional intelligence research, says that emotional intelligence accounts for 90% of what makes people move up the success ladder. So I'm just curious from your lived experience and your experience, what do you think? Is that roughly right? I think that's 100% correct the farther you get in your career. So when you're early in your career, you're, you may be hired, you probably are hired for your technical competence. You're hired to do a very specific job and your functional skills, your technical skills matter a lot in performing well in that job. But once you have the job and you want to either move laterally or move up, it's really about how you're working with teams, how you're able to communicate the value of your work to your stakeholders, how you can build relationships, listen to your internal and external customers and create solutions that work for them. And you're going to be leveraging your technical expertise for that, but it's the listening part, the advocacy, the influence making your stakeholders feel heard and understood, delivering on time, on budget, that really is going to help propel you to the next role. Yeah, great. So let's narrow down from soft skills in particular to communication. And throughout your very successful career in learning and development in academic world at PepsiCo, a through line for you has been making sure nothing's lost in translation. And According to LinkedIn's annual research, interpersonal skills is the biggest gap, and specifically, communications is the number one skills gap. 
And then at Udemy, we analyze billions of searches and the usage of courses from our 55 million learners. And communication is the number one soft skill. So, you know, as we look at the soft skills and now communication, let's just unpack that a little bit from your lens, from your point of view. First, let's just, why is communication so important? Communication is important because you have lots of different types of people in different geographies living different realities with different goals, trying to achieve things together. And you can't do that without sharing information, helping each other, and, you know, kind of getting on board against an action plan, you know, working against something. So I see the challenges being one, if you're a, a functional expert, to be able to speak really in, in like layperson's language and translate that expertise and make it useful to the organization that you're serving or the customers that you're serving. So, you know, all of your expertise is of no value if no one else can benefit from it. And in order to get them to benefit, you have to communicate it in ways that they can understand. If you're a leader, you're really trying to, in many ways, simplify communications for people. There's a lot of information coming at employees today, and the leader needs to articulate the vision and the strategy for getting there in very clear language that helps people understand how their role supports, even if it seems like a very distant type of support if you're way down the chain. But, you know, if, if you're a leader, you want to be able to make it personal for people. And that's another really important form of communication. Yeah. So do you have any examples of jargon, let's say techies to non-techies or HR experts talking to business experts, like people get into a role and when they talk to others, they make the assumption that everybody they're talking to has the same base knowledge as them. Can you talk about that? Yes. Every function or discipline has its jargon. That's very useful when you're talking to people in the discipline as a shorthand, but then you have to just back away from it when you're talking to people outside your discipline. So actually just yesterday, I was evaluating a career navigation tool from a vendor and the criteria that it was giving for employees using the tool had things like, how mobile are you? And what type of experiences have you had? And then it said, how many dependents do you have? And it's like, that's not how normal people talk. Normal people don't talk about their number of dependents. <laughs> and so it's just instantly off-putting. Yeah. And it makes it feel like, oh, this isn't for me. Because it's for people who understand and use that type of word. So it's it can be a very subtle mistake that can have big consequences. And that is a word I think, you know, people generally understand that. Imagine if you're, you know, a computer scientist and you're using, you know, really, really technical jargon. It's... Um, you're not going to be able to get your ideas across. Yeah, I love it. It's a great example. And I'm just wondering, just what do people get wrong when they're failing to effectively communicate? Do you have any sense of like what people do in the workplace that they get wrong? Is that a problem or different than just not being clear? Are there things people get wrong about effective communication? I think people are afraid of a couple of things. One is that they're afraid of making a mistake. They're afraid of coming across as not knowing what they're doing, and they're afraid of burning bridges. So in any workplace, you know, relationships are important, no matter how many, I think, formal processes the company or organization has. It comes down to, you know, are you able to get along and appreciate other people's points of view? So, you know, I think Adam Grant is a great expert on this. You know, he talks about kindness in the delivery, but directness in the message. So you want to come from a position of trying to help 
you want the other person to know that you're trying to help them. And, you know, you'll, I think you'll be forgiven for a lot if you kind of fumble over your words when you're trying to do that. Yeah, that's great. And if I go on that, you've talked about the importance of being vulnerable and people have been taught their whole lives to never be vulnerable. Yet increasingly we see research, leadership research showing that it's important to be vulnerable. So I'm wondering if you could talk about why is vulnerability important to career success? Vulnerability helps you build relationships and relationships are important for career success. Admitting when you don't know something, admitting that you're unsure or you're intimidated, chances are 99.9% that the other person knows exactly how you feel, can identify with that, and it'll instantly, I think, deepen the connection and make it a more human connection and you get more comfortable with each other and then that just greases the wheels of, of further communication. So I think people really overestimate the negative consequences of vulnerability and underestimate just the human connection and the, the chances that the other person's feeling the exact same way. At PepsiCo, we have a value of voice opinions fearlessly. And I think that sort of formal blessing from the organization really helps and provides air cover for people to speak up when they might not otherwise. I always think about fear, right, versus courage. And I'm afraid to look stupid. I'm afraid that I, I, I don't fit in. I'm afraid that if I admit a weakness, someone will use it against me. How do you create an environment where you diminish fear or create an environment where people feel safe enough to speak up and say these things and be vulnerable? Yeah, I think there's two ways to do it. And it's an ongoing process. One is for the leader to go first. So, you know, as a leader, I try to not take myself too seriously. I make fun of myself. I tell silly stories about mistakes I've made at home and at work. And so that people, you know, know that like, oh, if, if Molly made a mistake, it's okay for me to make a mistake too. Or if Molly has to go and do something for her family and miss a little bit of work, it's okay for me to do that too. So setting the example, being a role model is very important. Another way to encourage vulnerability and just authenticity in general, I think, is to really manage your meetings well and structure meetings so that you're not trying to have important conversations in very large groups. It's just inherently intimidating at even the most senior level. I see that in my own meetings for people to speak up when there's, you know, 20, 30, 50 other people on that Zoom call and you're the only voice. So if you want people to voice opinions fearlessly, you need to break them into smaller groups during the meeting, have them talk amongst themselves, and then come back and debrief. Yeah, so I love it. So the leader goes first and creates smaller group meetings where people can not be so intimidated by the size of the meeting. Do you have an example where you've made yourself vulnerable at work and how did it work out for you? Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I do, um, my calendar is visible to everyone on my team it demystifies me to them. And it, it's like, oh, I'm just like you. I'm in a bunch of one-on-one -on -one meetings. I'm in a bunch of group meetings. I have some focus time. And then, you know, my daughter has a piano lesson and my son has, you know, something else during the day, right? So I think that helps a lot. I just see it as transparency and, you know, human centricity. Another time I, you know, I completely missed some instructions from my boss to, complete a process and it impacted the rest of my team. And I was just, I just sent them an email. I'm like, guys, 
I completely missed this. I totally screwed up. I had to hustle and do it. It's not the best outcome, but let's get together and talk about how to make the best of, of the situation. So I think just admitting mistakes as quickly as possible is always the best remedy and everyone makes mistakes. So it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. The lesson is it requires us to quiet our ego, right? Admitting mistakes is again, sometimes very hard. Yeah. I th- another thing that Pepsi does is we have so many assessments, performance type assessments and personality assessments that everybody's always working on something all the way up the chain. So, you know, our head of HR will say, oh, you know, I'm getting feedback on this. Can you please help, you know, hold me accountable in the next few meetings so that I, you know, I I don't do that. So when you see the very senior leaders having a development area, it's like, great, we're all working on something. No one's perfect. And that makes me excited to improve myself rather than kind of ashamed of it. buzz around Gen AI isn't going anywhere. Leaders and managers are key to identifying how their companies can use the technology and creating a plan to grow their employees' skills. Learn how Udemy can help at business.udemy.com forward slash Gen AI now. So let's talk about relationship building. A lot of our listeners have started their career in this hybrid world, or they've only had a few years in an actual office. And to me, it seems this generation is starting off at a disadvantage. So my first question is, do you think it's harder to build effective relationships at work in this new environment? I think you can maintain relationships over Zoom, but you cannot enrich them to the same extent. I started at PepsiCo in 2019. So I had a year under my belt before the pandemic. And I was so glad that I at least had that because then the pandemic froze my relationships in like this kind of suspended animation. They didn't get worse, but they didn't get, they didn't get better for people I wasn't working with regularly. I think if you're working with someone every day, then you can definitely have a continue that wonderful relationship over Zoom. And now when I go back to the office, which I do if, you know, one or two times a week, I really get so much done in those side conversations in the hallway. It makes me feel so good to be around other people and to be saying hello to those weak ties and just to feel like you're part of a group and you're part of something bigger than yourself, which is hard to c- convey to everyone in their individual home offices. So, One aspect of networking and building relationships is that some people think it feels inauthentic or salesy, and it makes some people uncomfortable. They don't know how to do it. And so how do you foster genuine connections? How do you find where you can help? I know you have examples of exactly how you've done that. How have you transcended that salesy feeling? Yeah, you have to build a relationship based on something that you have in common. So the best way to do it in the workplace is to work together on a project. So volunteer yourself for projects outside of your area of responsibility. I mean, nobody at at work really has time for just like nonstop idle 
conversations just to build a relationship. Like it has to be around some kind of common purpose so that you're seeing each other in meetings and you're getting to know each other as colleagues rather than as kind of acquaintances. So to me, the best way to get to know somebody is to work with them on something, have a common goal and pursue it together. And then asking how you can help. So that's the best way to, I think, build a relationship is just with someone that you don't know is just to say, hey, what, how can I help you? Or if they may not know. And so you have to come up with like, all right, what are my skills? What information do I have access to that they don't? What relationships do I have that would help them? Where can I add value? And let me suggest that to them and then go from there and hope that they accept. Not everyone will, but offering a specific example, there's a um, there's a group of senior leaders at PepsiCo that have formed a community of practice that I volunteered myself to facilitate. So I get to go to all their meetings. I get to learn about the business because that's what they talk about. And then I'm building relationships with them through just you know, making sure that the meetings are as productive as possible and, you know, providing that service. So that's been wonderful for me. I I really enjoy it. And I think it it helps my career. And it also just helps me get my work done because I know who to call when I have a question and they pick up the phone because they know who I am. So no one asked you to do it. That's right. You figured it out on your own. You did it. And as a result, built a bunch of relationships, got plugged into a bunch of forward-looking strategies for the company, right? So all these huge benefits came. That's exactly right. I found out the thing existed. I know that I have facilitation skills. I mean, I'm in the learning profession. That's what we do. And so I knew they, like, I just volunteered to facilitate and they were happy to have me. And they said yes. Uh Uh-huh. See, it's magic. It's not that hard, (laughs) right? (laughs) Okay, next, I want to talk about positive leadership, positive and energizing leaders. We've had a number of different researchers, faculty, practitioners around positive leadership. And during times of uncertainty and burnout, positive energy is a great antidote. And you are known to be a positive energizer at work, optimistic, curious, good listener, you're ready to experiment. So you you have all those things. Let's start with how do you bring that positive energy to work. How do you bring it on a bad day, right? Kids sick, car broke down, you know, the 10 things are wrong in your life, but to be successful or to be a leader, to be a positive energizer, like, do you bring that baggage or do you fake it till you make it that day and put on a big smile and go to work? Like, how do you navigate that? Yeah. So I would actually tell whoever I'm meeting with about my bad day right off the bat. I'd be like, oh, this happened to me. And they would tell a story about how something happened to them. And then I would feel so good that A, I got it off my chest. B, that I've now connected on a human level with that other person, that then it would just dissipate and I would feel better. So I think that's the vulnerability again. You know, you can't do it in every meeting, but hopefully sometime that day, you're going to be able to talk to people about what happened. And you also, it's very, very important as a leader. Like if I show up angry, my team's going to think it's something they did. So I have to be super clear that like, you guys, I'm really upset right now. Something happened at home. I got a mean email, you know, whatever. And they're like, okay, so I can take Molly's disappointment because I know it's not about me. And that's a gift to them because otherwise they're going to be, everybody's going to be stressed that, you know, you're mad because of something that is relevant to them. Yeah, I I think this is important. I think so many people misconstrue 
emotion and interpersonal interactions because exactly what you just said, like you're having a bad day, which we all do. It's human nature. And people don't know how to interpret that because you didn't tell them or whatever. So I, I like I like your advice. It also goes to being authentic and being transparent. So in that vein, how do you bring your sort of whole person to work, just building on everything we just said? I, I'm curious about any thoughts on being a woman business leader, a mom business leader. How do those things impact your career? I heard a great quote, and I don't remember who said it, but it was leave loudly. And this is about you're in a meeting and you have to go do something for your family. And so instead of sneaking out, like that's something we say a lot, like, oh, I'm going to sneak out and do blah, blah. It's like, say, I have to leave to take my child to the doctor. You know, I'll talk to you guys later. And again, that sets an example for everyone else that it's okay to do that. So you don't leave quietly. You don't sneak out. You leave loudly because we're all balancing different parts of our lives. You know, I love fashion. I love bright colors. So, you know, I kind of, I see that as a form of self-expression. So I always, you know, that's why another reason I love coming to the office because it's a reason to get dressed up. And that's always a conversation point with folks. You know, it's like, oh, what are you wearing today? Like, you know, we talk to each other about it. I really actually built relationships based on that, you know, just talking to people about what they like to wear, what I like to wear. You know, as a mom, I have a great husband and he's actually been a stay-at-home dad for most of my career. So I have more support, I think, than the average person. And I'm really lucky that, you know, he's willing to do that. And it's great for our kids and it allows me to, to travel and so forth. So I think, you know, just making sure that you're, you're talking with your partner about who's responsible for what and having really clear lines of communication and making sure everyone's feeling, you know, invested in the right way and getting something out of it is really important. I've been to, you know, women's leadership programs that have been super impactful for me. I, I now am giving back through in that way. So I, you know, I will sponsor programs. I will, you know, coach people. I think that's very, very rewarding. So just, you know, contributing to whatever community you're part of, we're all parts of different communities, you know, own it, speak loudly about it, invest, and you'll get back what you put in. Yeah. The leave loudly. That's really cool. I also love the idea of thinking about the way you dress and it's a, a really powerful concept. And I think it's part of it is showing individuality. And so you're willing, you know, you're bringing all those things to work, right? You are a mom leader. You are a woman leader. You do think about the way you dress and go to the office to show some of your individual flair. Yeah, that's right. And I wonder, you know, does everybody do that? Do, do we need to teach that to early career people? What do you think? I think it it's important to have some self-awareness about what makes you different and what makes you feel fulfilled at work and that you're seen, you know, you're seen for your true self. Part of what we do in, in leadership programs is help people develop self-awareness, whether it's through assessments or coaching or just, you know, reflection time, and then have a plan for how that's, you know, you can express that in a work appropriate way. Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living, meaning we must first know thyself. And that's what was coming to mind as you were talking about some of the things you're doing at PepsiCo in, in leadership development. 100%. Okay, Molly, so as we wrap up here, we have a question that we ask all of our guests, 
And that is, if anything in life, this could be professional, personal, inside work, outside work, what are you curious about and learning now? Two things, generative AI and what that's going to mean for the learning profession. The other is that because I love fashion, I'm taking a fashion design course on Masterclass from Mark Jacobs and learning about his creative process. We started this conversation talking about communication. There's a whole piece of his talk where he's describing how he communicates with his pattern maker. It was so like resonant. So that's that's uh, what I'm doing in my free time. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, and I love the connection back to curiosity and innovation, all these things that you're trying to bring to work. All right, Molly, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much, Alan, for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Leading Up, a podcast from Udemy Business. We'll be back next Wednesday with another episode to help you level up your leadership skills. Follow the show so you never miss a new episode. And if you like the show, leave a rating or a review. We love the feedback and it really helps us find new listeners. To learn more about Leading Up or how Udemy can help you develop leaders at scale and move business forward, visit business.udemy.com. The Leading Up podcast is produced by Udemy in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Alex Vickmanis, Amy Machado, Brian Rivers, Danielle Roth, and Carter Wogan. Our original theme is by Soundboard. <laughs>